Welcome to episode 112 of the Never Iron Anything Comics Review podcast. This week we have a returning guest and a new guest, which we're very excited about. Um, first up, our old buddy, comics creating machine, Mr. Dave Robertson. How are you doing, Dean? Very well, Tony. How are you? I'm living the dream, my friend. Yeah. Great. Good. Nice well, Christmas. Just quiet, mate. Did you, was it clubbing and that for you, was it? Or disco yeah, biscuits? Yeah, hardcore, hardcore. You know the score. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Um, and joining us this week is is um, a co-host of Dave's on that comic smell, along with the other guys, and someone I've met a couple of times, a collector of badges, uh, a master of the prehistoric, podcaster, comics fan and creator, the man, the legend, Mike Sadaka. How are you, man? You are right? Hello, Tony. I'm doing fine. How are you? <laughs> good, thanks, mate. Good. <laughs> good. It's good to have you on, mate. So what... what uh, well, I've never asked you because we never had you on before, and I, in, when we've met in person, we've always just mucked about. So I haven't had a chance to ask you. What's your sort of comics origins, Mike? Uh, interestingly, my comics origins really start with animated cartoons. Right. Because when I was a kid, I, I really watched things like Spider Man and his Amazing Friends, and uh, the Incredible Hulk, nineteen eighty two, nineteen eighty two or eighty one cartoon, and okay. um, also the the Adam West Batman series. And I only got into comics quite seriously when I was a teenager. When I should have been studying other stuff, I, I delved <laughs> straight into comics. So I'm, I'm, I'm really quite a latecomer when it comes to comics. Was that a sort of comic shop? Did you go into a comic shop or was it still newsagent stuff then? Or what were the sort of titles about? It was, it was a mixture. But at the time, I was collecting the big titles, like the Marvel titles and the DC titles. I hadn't yeah. yet discovered independent comics and some of my friends they used to keep comics in their what should have been their clothes drawers and they'd open them <laughs> up and i'd see a collection of judge dread comics or a collection of dark horse comics and i got slightly jealous so i would i would try and do the same i'd i'd get some of the uh, the old dark horse aliens and predator and i'd i'd put them i'd chuck all my t-shirts out and just shove lots of comics in there <laughs> so i could try and be cool <laughs> and my parents took me to Florida a few times and I got people really jealous because you know how in America they sometimes have long highways with fast food joints there. Yeah. Every couple of miles there'd be a comic shop. Right. And I'd stop off and I'd get a, a major title until, of course, my parents said, you've got enough on you, you're not getting any more. And when I got back to, uh, when, I, when I go back home, I'd try and search out the nearest comic shop and then... I just went back and forth from then on. Oh, nice work, man. Good. But when I when I did find the comic shop, I pretty much went into more diverse comics. I discovered that DC and Marvel weren't the only publishers out there. Yeah. So this is the time of the Turtles and all that sort of thing, I'm guessing, was it? or? Oh, yes. Uh, Teenage yeah. Mutant Ninja Turtles, I shall say. <laughs> Good stuff, man. And we'll be talking about your new comic, which you very kindly sent me this week. Once Upon a Time During the Ice Age, which mm. uh, I really enjoyed, mate. Really good. Yeah, really drew, drew me in, actually. A really nice story. So we'll talk about that towards the end. Now, this episode, um, it's kind of, for those that are listening, it's kind of the mid-Christmas episode. And Dave has chosen the title. What have you chosen this week, Dave? I chose Marvels by uh, Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross. Now... Was this a book that you picked up at the time, or 
trade or later on or what happened? Uh, yeah, what happened was I was in the local comic shop at the time and it was the issue with Spider-Man's face on the front. Yeah. Um, yep. Was that three or four? Four it must have been, okay. I guess. And, you know, it, it did stand out at the time from all the other comics. I can remember being in the shop and saying, what's that? Yeah. Uh, and it was like, oh, it turned out it was this thing called Marvels. So I'd completely missed it, you know, because it was on the issue, whatever, near the end or at the end. Yeah. Um, so a year later or whenever it was, um, you know, you used to have Box Tree as a as a publisher in the yes, 90s. Yes, because people don't realise, but trade paperbacks were quite rare at the time, weren't they? You used to have, if you didn't get the issues, you didn't get them at all, did you? Yeah, that's right. And uh, so you had Titan and... Uh, as I say, at that time, they had Box Tree. They, they seemed to put out a lot of stuff. And they did Marvel's trade paperback. So uh, for my birthday the next year, I got the Marvel's book uh, and enjoyed it. And uh, another thing I got on that birthday was Duran Duran's covers album on oh, vinyl. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So another that gives favorite. you some context, you know, of, um, <laughs> of uh, where I was at at the time. Yeah. <laughs> So this is quite interesting. You know, it was voted the worst album ever made. Was it really? No, okay. oh, 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 I thought that's a bit harsh. You know, yeah, but, rolling um, in it. Yeah, <laughs> there's quite in quite this interesting area for the three of us because I bought the issues and then bought the trade. You bought you bought it around about the same time as well. But Mike, you're coming to it with fresh eyes, aren't you? So this is the first time you've read it this week. I think I'm right in saying. Uh, yes, yes. I, I've seen many of the images before, but I had yeah. never got around to reading the whole graphic novel. Okay, interesting. So what we're talking about is Marvels. Uh, 20, it was the 25th anniversary two years ago. Written by Kurt Buziak, art by Alex Ross, who also did the colours, painted interiors and covers. Letters by John Goschel and Richard Starkings. Um, are you able, Mike, to give us a sort of overview of what it's about? What would you say it's about? I would say it's about the comic characters you read during the some of the big classic storylines seen through the eyes of a journalist. Phil Sheldon? Yeah. Yep, that's the one. And also seen through the eyes of members of the public who get caught up in in some of the devastation or some of the chaos that might happen. So when we read a, a classic comic, you're usually fixated on the main characters, yeah, the uh, the heroes and the villains. And here we had um, the point of view of someone who wasn't super powered. He wasn't directly connected to the to the to the superheroes. And it's basically the majority of people who would be portrayed in comics. You'll see will be the crowds that are running through the cities, and it was more how they felt. And there were scenes that didn't involve big monsters, but involved, say, the, the mutants. And you'd get into the minds of the people. Why did they? Why did a lot of them hate the mutants? Were they scared? Were they jealous? Um, so I find that sort of thing very interesting. And to be honest, when I picked up the graphic novel, I didn't really know what I was going to be reading. Right. So it came as a, a nice, pleasant surprise to realise that this is actually. A lot more different to um, to in the in the story to what I would have expected otherwise. Yeah, I get you, man. It's that outside observer point of view that we mm. get in it, isn't it? That um, I think maybe made it stand out a little, amongst other reasons, but made it stand out for me at the time. 
because it wasn't a particularly strong period for comics, was it? Really, there was a lot, there was a lot of crap out there at the time. Was this nineteen ninety four? Not a lot of great stuff out there. Um, mm. Why? I why think did... it was at the time a lot of comic sales went down as well. They nosedipped and yeah. So we had that initial like surge, didn't we? When we got this, mm. why? Why did you pick it, Dave? Why was it your pick to talk about? Is there anything that struck you about it now or at the time that you thought you wanted to talk about? Uh, I, I guess I was looking at the different kinds of things that we've talked about, Tony, over yeah. over the, the conversations. And I was thinking, I don't think I've done anything um, from the main publishers. I might be wrong, but I don't think I've done anything sort of post- Well, we did Micronauts, didn't we? But that wasn't that's not really main universe, yeah. is it, I suppose? Yeah, I was yeah. thinking post sort of night. 90s you know post 80s okay post 1990 i thought i don't think i've touched it i, I might be wrong uh but yeah. th- that i thought you know i should make an effort there must have been something good <laughs> in the 90s that i liked <laughs> and then I, and then i thought oh yeah marvels of course marvels uh and then as you'll remember i kind of said is is it too obvious but could we do marvels you know because i know yeah. you don't want to do really obvious yeah, and no, I get you, man. Or something, you know? Yeah, we do, we, I think there's enough people out there doing Dark Knight Returns and stuff. But I think this is interesting because it comes from a point of view of us, three of us, and it's great to have Mike involved because we get that sort of fresh eye on it from a you know. I mean, we this this is a book that plays heavily on nostalgia, doesn't it? Because mm. it recounts stories that you know Kirby drew, etc. That we obviously right. loved. Um, Definitely yeah. from the the war scenes or yeah. the scenes during the World War. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, the All Winners Squad and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some great scenes in there. And he was playing, I, th- I think the quote from Chip Kidd, who, who talks to I think he's a mate of Ross's, he said, Alex Ross makes us see it in a new, uh, with a new eye. So whilst we are looking at Captain America fighting the Nazis or uh, Galactus, you know, trying to destroy the Earth or, or whatever it's going to be, Spider-Man flying about in New York, we see it differently because of, for two reasons to me. We see it because of, like you said, Mike, the Phil Sheldon view, the point of view of the member of the public or um, a journalist. But we also see it because it's created in such a different way, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that struck you, Mike, at all at the time when you read it? About you know, what I'm really talking about is this sort of very striking um, painted artwork, almost. You know, the artwork is brilliant. I mean, I, right. I I can't lie that I'm a big fan of um, the eighties comic artwork where you saw the little dots making the colors so this <laughs> this contrast was actually pretty good and I, I i i do like the idea of looking at a painting and if i walked into an art gallery i, I wouldn't be off put by a classic painting with a big speech bubble yeah so this was this was uh, a really good well-played part okay what about you dave did it did it strike you as so different at the time was it jarring or is it did you like it because of that different artwork or yeah i think there was a real novelty to that wasn't there a, a comic that was all painted superheroes i mean we'd we'd had some things like that in in the past like uh errol norem used to draw the yeah the hulk paintings for the covers and things yeah uh and i, I had a i had one of his big hulk paintings you they gave away a, a big copy of it with one of the was it with Spider-Man rampaging Hulk? Oh right, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And it was yeah. it was the Hulk and the Metal Master, or yeah, Metal Master, yeah. And uh, it was this big painting, and I had that on my wall for years, you know, because it seemed so cool that it was painted. Yeah, uh, and it, yeah. and and you know, in your mind, um, 
it did seem to lend some kind of legitimacy to it, didn't it? Hey, look, it's a painting, you know. <laughs> yeah, Somebody spent time on that, you know. <laughs> it was always a way, wasn't it? I always used to see these covers of um, Savage Sword of Conan and think they are amazing. I wish yeah. the interiors were all this good. And they, whilst they were still often quite good, they weren't that, were they? And mm-hmm. um, I think that's, that's something right. Alex Ross talks about. He says he had this sort of awakening um, and he decided that comics should be that good inside as well. And that's what he sort of pursued. Um yeah. yeah, I was also thinking, you know, back before the Marvels came out, although it was new that you had a whole Marvel comic series and it was all painted like that, I remember there were there were painted comic things going on, weren't there, before that? Like yeah, we had Meltdown 80s. and a few other things, didn't we? That's Even Electra right. Assassin, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Some of the aliens and Red Dwarf comics seem to be painted as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I uh-huh. suppose even... Um, stuff like the Trigon Empire and stuff like that to a certain mm-hmm. extent you know um, yeah we're going to talk about his process a bit in a minute because there's quite a, a few videos you can watch of Alex Ross doing stuff um, but, but I know Dave and I are both obviously we love the history of Marvel and the sort of the, from the Silver Age onwards is that something you're interested in Mike because this, this is a history lesson in a way isn't it <laughs> or a comics history lesson in a way yeah well uh, the, the the interesting thing is um Earlier on, when I mentioned the animated cartoons, that's that's what drove me to to Marvel. Right. So when I saw that they originated from comics, I I did go straight to the the comics, and I read up on some of the um, some of the artists behind them, such as Kirby and Ditko, and and uh, also the the relationship they had with uh, with Stan Lee. Yeah. So one thing does lead to another. So it's all sort of intertwined. Yeah, I get you, man. I mean, is this a comic that you would give to a new reader, Mike, having been a new reader yourself? Is it something, or is it a little bit old-fashioned, do you think? I wouldn't say it was old-fashioned. I would I would like people to maybe read some of the classic stories first. Okay. And then see how they like them, and then say, well, if you're familiar with Marvel characters now, have a, have a read of this one. See what you think. Yeah, interesting. I'm not sure. If it, I, w- I wouldn't say I wouldn't say this is your first comic. I want you to read in case they haven't read any more. I'd definitely say it was um, uh, something for not a beginner, but someone who who has read a few comics in their time, okay. or a few Marvel comics in their time. Yeah, I don't know if it's if it's still in print because I know you had trouble finding a copy, didn't you, Mike? I, mean, I had a, quite a lot of trouble. I mean, there's only a, a, a small number and. I, I spotted them on um, on a certain website out there that was selling them, and there were <laughs> six of them. And I thought, okay, so, no, eight. There was eight of them. And I thought, no one's going to buy them all. And the next day, I, I went to I went to have a look and saw that there were two of them left. All right. And then I thought, okay, no one's going to no one's going to buy those two by tomorrow morning. And of course, someone had bought them all. And it was it was fairly difficult finding it, but eventually I did find it. So yeah, that's interesting because to me this should be an evergreen. This should be one that's always in Waterstones or something like that. You know, Waterstones uh, was the first place I went to to find it, and it wasn't there. Right. Okay. I went to a, a local comic shop, and it wasn't there either. So okay, all right. It, it's strange how it's a, a very difficult to get hold of title. Yeah. It is, yeah, it is weird, isn't it? Because you would think, I mean, DC are sort of famous for having these evergreen titles, you know, Dark Knight, Watchmen, etc. But um, Marvel struggle a little bit to have that sort of book that's always on the shelf. And I, if I was going to say one, it would probably be this one. Um, yeah, I was in a Waterstones today, and it certainly wasn't there today, so it was, it was all manga, in it? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, what 
what's the draw for this book dave is it the art of the writing or is it a combination what do you think i think uh, uh, in the first instance it's the art okay it's got to, it's got to be and uh, while i would agree with mike that ideally it shouldn't be one of the first you read yeah um in order to really appreciate it i would think practically speaking it probably would be one of the first i would give somebody that didn't have any interest because although they wouldn't fully appreciate what it's all about it's just got that surface oh hey look at this oh wow you know yeah and somebody might look through the the entire thing kind of amused at the novelty or uh, you know amused stroke impressed that somebody's gone to all this effort, you know? Yeah, it must have taken fucking ages, I'm guessing, didn't it? Or... Yeah, <laughs> you would have thought so. <laughs> Do you know something else that was, um, that I was thinking, re sorry, rereading it again after all these years? Yeah. Of course, this came out before all these movies, right? Yeah. Mm. So the very fact that all these superheroes look somewhat re realistic somewhat less cartoony than the the comics that we'd all been reading you know that they, these would be compared now to the movies yeah anybody yeah. coming to this new yeah you know? it would be wouldn't it they've seen all these superheroes now running about in in reality <laughs> you know so to speak yeah so that, would, that would change the reaction to it i think i don't know why, why but this feels almost more realistic than the movies to me i don't know why i'm saying that it's just yeah. i think people tend to have a bit of a bit of a gut on them and stuff like that don't they occasionally that's right yeah and it's not cgi right it's paint strokes <laughs> yeah and it's also the costumes look more realistic than they do mm -hmm. in the movies you know um, yeah the drape of the cloth and stuff like that um mm -hmm. isn't um isn't captain picard professor xavier in this is that right yeah he is isn't he and that was before he was in the movies that's right that's pretty impressive i remember when he I've got the page uh, highlighted here and i'm looking at it and yes he uh he does look more like Patrick Stewart than he does um, Xavier in the 1990s cartoon that was out right. at that time. Uh, interesting. Yeah, and we'll, well, I mean, we'll talk about the process he goes through in a minute because um, it's quite a complicated series of photographing people and stuff like that. But I thought we might mention Kurt Busiak, um, who's the um, underrated hero of this book, I think. He's the writer. He was born in 1960 in Boston, grew up a friend of Scott McLeod's, believe it or not. They were, as kids, they would... Um, read comics in their parents basement in fact in fact scott mcleod didn't like comics and it was only kurt buziak who sort of convinced him that he should read him read them although his parents um buziak's parents didn't let him read comics so his first one wasn't until he was 14 and that was daredevil issue 120 in 1975 um growing up him and mcleod con contributed to the fanzine comics feature uh, and he appears, if you've got the right issues, appears in a lot of letter columns of comic, Marvel comics especially. Um, he claims to have originated the idea that the Phoenix was a separate being who um, impersonated Jean Grey. So do you remember how all our hearts were broken when she suddenly appeared back in X Factor, back in those in the heady days of that, that period? Um, he submitted work to Dick Giordano. Dick Giordano mentions, I think we mentioned him almost every episode on here, um, who gave him a backup in Green Lantern 162 in 1983. He then took over from our favourite Dave, Joe Duffy, on Power Man and Iron Fist, which I think was just a couple of issues after the one we reviewed recently. Um, and Joe Duffy also appeared in, was it the Star Wars comic we talked about? Is she the oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she wrote a lot of that, yeah. She's great. Um, in 1985, he wrote a Red Tornado series. Um, post the Marvels, um, he, he worked on and created the Thunderbolts, which endures in some way still to this day, I think. Um, in the 90s, he began his magnus opus, Astro City, 
um, but also got, got quite seriously ill with mercury poisoning. Um, so that sort of was delayed a bit. He also created something called The Power Company from DC, if you guys remember that. Um, 2004, he worked on Conan at Dark Horse, um, wrote Dark Man versus the Army of Darkness, and he wrote some Vampirellas, which I'm a fan of. Um, his Avengers run with George Perez which sort of revitalised the, the title at the time. Did you read that, either of you, or that his run with George Perez on the Avengers? It's, I think it's, it's classed as volume three, I think. No, but I do have some Vampirella up in my attic. <laughs> he surprised me. Mike, good. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. Okay, so I think probably we'll, we'll have a, a conversation about the art in a second. Um, if... I, I have I have quite a hard theory about the the art in this, but I want to hear some of some of what you think about it. Um, he's Jim Rugg on the Kayfabe episode that I know you and me, have, Dave, you and me have listened to. Is uh, he's described Marvels as his coming out party? In other words, you know this is this is he'd done some work previously on a Terminator series at um, Now Comics in Chicago, but this was his first big gig, um, and he um he quickly sort of hit the scene didn't he was it do you remember there being a buzz about it at all i remember picking it up because of the buzz um i i was probably very out of the loop um right the the only i would have been reading the comics journal at the time right yeah uh and i don't remember them having a buzz about it at all okay. uh, apart from i remember art spiegelman talking about you know everything and anything comics and i remember him saying oh marvels is that's counterfeit art i remember that really okay what did he mean by so that, that do you think? i think it was they were discussing the idea of uh what art really is uh well or maybe ideally is which is your individual outlook on the world and, and you're conveying that to people and they're getting something from it about life and from, right. I suppose, Spiegelman's point of view, well, that's Marvel Comics spending a bunch of money on somebody painting a load of superheroes, you know? <laughs> so it didn't really fit his criteria of... Yeah, I get you. ...something worth... Um, this is all from memory, Tori. I, yeah. I don't want to speak for Art Spiegelman. Um, <laughs> my memory is that, uh, you know, there's probably not much more to it than that. He wasn't going to be interested in, in somebody painting the bloody thing, was he? Yeah, no, I agree, man. I don't well, think he was even really a fan of Kirby, was he? From... Oh, wasn't he? Oh, interesting. I don't yeah. think he was, because I remember him and Groth kind of arguing about it, and Groth saying, no, oh, but he's, he's great, though. <laughs> <laughs> the, I think the thing is, for me, is it, it does, like we're talking about, he, he basically gives a fresh look on a comics period that we all loved and still do. I mean, there's never been a better, in my opinion, I think you'll, you'll probably agree, Dave, in Marvel as the Silver and Bronze Age. There's never been mm. a better period of comics ever. And that's what basically he was showing everyone again, you know. It's definitely a love letter to, to yeah. those periods, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, let's talk a little bit about Alex Ross. So, born Nelson. Well, can I, can I just quickly jump you can, in Mike. and say, of course you can, mate. When, I, when I was reading this, it really made me want to send a letter to the makers of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and say, set all of your films back in the 60s. Yeah. That's that's how influential it was when it came to highlighting the golden or the, the silver age of of Marvel. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm at this point where I think, really well. I think they could set the Fantastic Four in the 60s and everyone would love it at this point, couldn't they? It's, mm -hmm. They're sort of... I'm not a fan of the movies, but the 
the the the overcomplicated backstory that we've now got in the MCU, you know, just mm-hmm. needs a bit of a reboot and sticking it in the sixties might work for some of these, you know. Um, Definitely. Yeah. So um, Alex Ross, aka born Nelson Alexander Ross, was born in nineteen seventy in Portland before moving quite quickly to Texas as a kid. He, the AV Club um, referred to him as the Norman Rockwell meets George Perez. I don't know if I believe that, but that's what they call him. Um, his father was a, a preacher, a minister, and his mother was a housewife for most of her life, but had previously been a, like an illustrator, um, like an advertising illustrator. He quotes his early influences as Perez, uh, John Romita Jr., Neil Adams, Bernie Wrightson. Um, his later teenage influences included Andrew Loomis and Norman Rockwell. Um, at 17 years old, he went to the American Academy of Art in Chicago, um, this time, at this point, he was exposed to classical artists like Dali, and he began to seriously consider painting, but painting interiors. I mean, his his big uh, I wrote the quote down about his big influence. He says Dave McKean, who I know we've talked about quite a few times on here. Dave McKean made a huge impact on my way of seeing comics or what my focus in life should be when I was only 19, which is a lovely quote. And he became really inspired by Black Orchid. Um, now I know for sure what I want to do with my comics. And then he saw Arkham Asylum, and and it, and then that was again strengthened his opinion of what he should be doing. Um, did you see any connection between the two creators there, guys, or you know between um, Ross and Dave McKean at all? Hmm. I think I found Dave McKean's more experimental, isn't he? Yeah, uh, I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, it's more the... psychedelic Arkham Asylum. Yeah, it's a trip, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It's not as uh, photorealistic as um, Marvel's. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel about it, and. That's almost a problem that I'll tell you about in a second once we get to it. But yeah, yeah, no, I think you're right, man. It's, uh, yeah, Dave McKean uses a variety of styles and mediums and all sorts of things, whilst Ross Keems seems to keep to one. Um, in 1990, he worked extensively in advertising. He claims he had like a nine to five job, even with a cubicle, and he'd go into work and, you know, draw storyboards for eight hours and go home but in not bit the same year he was first published um in comics was with now comics like we said who were a local chicago company um terminated the burning earth which was five issues uh, still quite cheap to find on ebay actually um he then was to work on something called open space at marvel but the project got cancelled uh, it later got published in a wizard special that was about ross himself um and during this time he met buziak and they started pitching ideas together um his actual first published superhero work was the cover to a novel adaption which was superman doomsday and beyond Do you remember you know, occasionally big companies do novels of their comics don't they weirdly mm. and he was the cover of that and then 1994 marvels came out um he continued his collaborations with buziak for many years and still does now he does co- covers for astro city um from Wildstorm, and, and then he went to vertigo and i think is it an image now i think um have either of you guys read astro city at all I've read um, I've read the first issue. That was it, just to right. get a flavour for it. Um, but I didn't feel I wanted to read any more. Okay, it. I mean, it's almost like spiritually a sequel to Marvels to me. You know, yeah, it gives that sort of one's about a cop whose whose brother's a supervillain, and you know, it does that. It does a bit of that, doesn't it? You know, I had a feeling it was going to be more of the same. I think. Yeah, from yeah. Kurt, you know, except not with Alex this time. Yeah, get you. What about you, Mike? Have you ever read read Astro City at all, or? No, I'm afraid I haven't. No worries. Um, and then 1996, we got we worked with Mark Wade on Kingdom Come, um, and during this time, he showed a lot of work on recre- redesigning, recreating characters how how they looked. He co-created Magog, um, 
And he worked on Uncle Sam at Vertigo, which was a sort of examination of the US's dark history. Um, 2000s with Jim Kruger co-plotted Earth X, Universe X and Paradise X. And he then worked on, quite famously, on promo artwork for Unbreakable by M. Night Shyamalan, the movie with Bruce Willis. Um, and then he designed a poster of the Academy Awards. Um, in uh, 2003, Pantheon Books published Mythology, the DC Comics art of Alex Ross. Um, and I think they've just done, a, I think a, a year or so ago, they did, they've done like a Marvel version of that, Marvelosity, I think it's called. Have either of you guys seen those at all? No, Fred, no. No, no worries. Um, I, I I have I think I flicked through the um, the DC mythology book a while back. Yeah. I remembered being impressed by the artwork. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, he he was back again with he was creative director on the Phantom series at Dynamite. He does a lot of work with Dynamite, and they put out the Avengers Invaders book, believe it or not. Um, and he drew Kirby Genesis at Dynamite. He now does sort of generally a shitload of covers, doesn't he? Um, is the way I see his stuff mostly. Um, he's, I think the last few I saw, he did some Captain America covers and stuff like that. Um, the, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate here for a second, and I'm gonna say, well, let's let's base it on this this theory that just because you like something doesn't make it good. Mm -hmm. um, um, and I like a lot of shit stuff, Mike. I like Femme Force. Mm -hmm. And Puppet Master, and you know, I like a lot of shit stuff. And I, I think that there's a lot of reviewers out there who could take a bit of notice of the fact that just because you like something doesn't fucking make it good. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And I can. I think I'm on the same boat. There's lots of things I like that a lot of people don't seem to like very much. Yeah. And, uh, vice versa as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, there is no doubt in my mind. This is each panel of this is extremely well crafted, and looks amazing as a single image. Mm -hmm. However, personally, I find it cold. I'd rather read a panel of a Sam Buscema Defenders comic than I would a panel of Marvels. Uh, and then I put dot, 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 discuss. What do you guys think of that? Dave, what's your thoughts on that, man? Well, my, my thoughts on that are that um, even before this, you know what we're talking about. There had been painted comics prior to this, yeah. And I remember looking, and they're they're very impressive. But at a certain point, I just felt like these don't actually work as well as comics, as just a a black line or or a mark, a more cartoony style. Yeah, that's actually more suited. the The painted details in a comic slow it down to not just being about reading it it's all you're, you're impressed by the the very thing that i think would first grab people when you get into it a bit more it's like actually no this isn't this isn't right this isn't the way yeah. we're meant to be doing this and i the way i view i mean you listed off a lot of things alex ross did there yeah and yeah. uh you know i guess i should be embarrassed that i'm sitting saying nope 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 no, nope, no. Nope. <laughs> but the thing is, with me, I was. To me, it's a definite um, novelty for me. I think yeah. Alex Ross has got uh, one trick. You know, I'm sorry. I mean, I might as well just say it. I, I just think he paints superheroes real nice, and you look and go, "Wow, look at that!" And I think he did that with Marvels. And then I think, what was he going to do next? Okay, I'm going to do it with DC next. So he did that, and I did read Kingdom Come. Right. 
Uh, but for one reason or another, I thought, no, I didn't. That one didn't work. Maybe the novelty had worn off. Um, but I didn't like that as much. And then I found by the time you got onto the other thing, Earth X, and now he's making all this stuff up, I thought, well, no, I just don't care about that. Him painting yeah. a load of superheroes now that uh, he's made up. Yeah. I thought, yeah. no, I, I'm, I don't care yeah. about that. I think to me, it looks like each panel is lovely. And it's beautiful, and it's you know you can't fault the you know that what he's drawn there. It's all right and correct, and looks amazing, and everyone looks great. But it doesn't. It's not sequential to me. I know it's a funny thing to say. It doesn't flow into the next panel. The old Steve Dillon quote of you know if you're spending too long looking at my artwork, I haven't done my job. Um, what do you think, Mike? Well, I think for the story that it tells, the artwork's good. Okay. Because it's not your typical superhero story. If I so, some of my favourite artwork for superheroes, it's um, stuff by Walt Simonson, or I, I do like Japanese manga. Okay. And none of the none of the pictures are as detailed or as well coloured as Marvel's. But Marvel's, of course, is seen not through the eyes of the superheroes; it's through the eyes of the ordinary person. And I think. This, the, the artwork suits that. It's not um, your giant muscle-bound hero who needs to have a lot of um, a lot of captions drawn with them. So you have them in one position, then another position, then another one. You just get a glimpse, one glimpse of yeah. the hero every so often, and the rest of it is focused on your ordinary people. And I think that that's one of the most important things about the about the novel plus um uh plus if if people start trying to draw superhero comics in this way we probably never get, get the, like one every the, couple of years wouldn't we yeah yeah, yeah it'll be an annual it'll That's, just be an annual i see what you're saying mike the, the thing is like the, the, there's a couple of moments and we'll describe our favorite moments in a bit but one of the moments for me is when he looks up and giant man is striding over the top of the tab blocks <laughs> and because it's painted so realistically it has the impact of a of a photograph almost mm-hmm. to me you know because it's so perfect and that does work there uh, it really does with me in those single images and, you, and, that, and that's a lovely little shock moment where you get fucking hell you know mm-hmm. look at the scale there from this sort of phil sheldon who we've, we've come to like um you know this sort of everyman um yeah i see what you're saying man the the process is something probably we should discuss a bit here as well is he uses um have have you guys looked into this at all because he uses a lot of um photographs so he actually has friends who dress up as um go on man oh and in my edition there's a a bit of the back it's one of my highlighted moments in, in the book that isn't part of the story and he's got some examples of the photographs there's a there's a guy sitting on the uh what looks like a weightlifting bench and he's in an angle like Captain America leaping through the sky and he's got his, a photograph of his parents and that's later the, the foundation of uh, Reed Richards and Susan getting in with each other and he's got he's got one of his friends dressed up as the thing. Yeah. So this this last chapter is basically pictures of how he how he managed to use his friends as models and take photographs of them he even has a a, a photograph of a, an old superman toy 
holding what looks like a, a Barbie or a Cindy in his arms. And yeah. it's <laughs> he's got them at different angles so he can work out the light. Yeah, he uses a lot of he uses a lot of either friends or models or action figures or statues mm. as well. Yeah, um, I mean Phil Sheldon is actually his mate, isn't he? He's a guy called Mark Braun, who is if you read the epilogue issue that doesn't probably appear in your trades because it's only a couple of years old. The um, he he's actually an artist, Mark Braun, and he does a sort of mad magazine parody thing, a couple of pages at the end of it, uh, and they but they're buddies, and I think he's played Phil Sheldon for years for him, you know. Um, and at the back of your trade, Dave, I think, isn't there a list of all the different people who played parts in it? Yeah, there is. There's like a cast That's list it. at, the, at yeah. the end, yeah. Yeah. So he starts with some. He starts with a lot of photographs. He starts with a lot of smaller sketches. He light boxes the sketches in and blows them up into a bigger format. He uses a 4H pencil, which gives him a thin line that he can paint over. Um, and then making use of the photographs he's taken, which give him a lot of light reference and the folds in the fabric and the wrinkles on the face, etc., etc. He paints it using gouache. Um, now, as I understand it, not being an artist, that's a form of opaque watercolour. Is that something either of you have used before? I've used watercolour pencils. Right. For, for drawing comics. Okay. But most, most of my comic work is black and white or shaded pencil. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I've, I've this it. makes me want Sorry, to experiment. Yeah. Dave, you've used it, have you? I was just going to say, I've used it, but not with any degree of skill like Alex Ross. You know, he knows what he's doing, obviously. Yeah. I don't have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's my big problem with it. One of my problems with it is that it's um, because he uses these models so much. It's um, a bit like Strangehaven as well. He uses a lot of um, a lot of his friends as the characters in Strangehaven. The it, it's too it's almost too static for me, guys. Do you know what I mean? But does that sing? Do you understand what I mean there? Mm. It's like you're just seeing key animations and not the cells in between. Yeah, yeah. Which which you should feel, shouldn't you? There should be that flow of movement across a page. Um, I it's... can remember when I got the the book. And, and reading it and then those pages at the back actually kind of spoiled it for me a bit yeah you know it all looked really impressive and then you get to the back and he's his pal is standing in his flat you know with a, <laughs> a thing's head mask on going <laughs> and you kind of think oh he's just took photos of his buddies arson about and then painted them <laughs> you know the grandeur of it was uh tainted a bit yeah I mean, maybe that's why he's probably now best known as being a cover artist. I did uh, read that he, he didn't really make any money out of Marvels. He what, because did, it um, took so long? It took so long and it did sell, but he wasn't getting paid a fortune for it. And he didn't really make any money until he did those big, you know, he did the Superman. Yeah, Wonder so Woman. Big, yeah. Yeah, Batman, Justice League, those big books. I think he, he started making money with them because they, they were different, weren't they? They were more... Like each page was a splash thing. Yeah, it was almost like a history well. thing. Yeah. Um, saying that, if you go to, um, if you look him up on YouTube, there's CBS, the American news channel, go around his house, um, and he's got a museum in his own house, um, which is you've never seen. You know these upscale statues and upscale are they called action figures or dolls or whatever they are, that you know, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands yeah. of pounds. He's got a room that is just literally full of them. 
Um, <laughs> it, it is fucking incredible. Um, but yeah, I think he obviously, I think now he's made a few quid. I, have you, either of you guys ever seen his booth at a convention? No, no. But I've heard about it. It's enormous, isn't it? Yeah, he's I, he's always at New York when I go, and he's he's got this sort of an enormous booth, and it it looks like um, and everyone's sort of dressed smartly in it, and there's there's all these sort of high end prints and stuff like that, and I've got to tell you, it puts me off him a bit, <laughs> to be honest. I've I you know, you know, when I hear these things, he, you know, he's got a load of money, he's got a room full of statues. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he's got this huge booth, and it's and all. You know, he makes a fortune now, doesn't he? Doing these massive prints and all that. Yeah. And I, I can't help but, for me, being the purest comic snob guy, I look and go, "But you've not made any comics for decades, mate. Why should I give a shit?" You know. Yeah. Know you do you big. You do big prints now and get paid a fortune, and that is brilliant for your bank account. <laughs> but it's of no interest to me. Yeah, yeah. It's um. It's a funny one as well. I was I was hearing the eleven o'clock comics talk about Meltdown, which was the is it Kent Williams and John J. Muth painted comic, um, yeah. you know, which was Wolverine and um, Havoc, which pre I think predates this. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it came out in that sort of prestige format. And um, and Vince B on the, you know good dude. He was saying he doesn't like he says I don't like the phrase being taken out of a comic. But every time I look at these people and I recognise who the person is. Um, or even if they're just a very real face, it it does stop stop you a little bit, and I mm. get that with Marvels. I mm. even you know um, Gwen Stacy in it is gorgeous, and one of my favourite moments is the moment where she stands amongst the invading tanks and army <laughs> of you know Atlantis, and she feels the rain on her face and stuff. And I I think it's it's amazing. It's a, it's a beautifully written and rendered and drawn page, but her face is clearly the face of someone he knows. <laughs> you know, it's just like. <laughs> Someone's face. Um, yeah. I would rather have the um, the John Romita Gwen Stacy back. You know, that yeah. more cartoony style. Um, Do you know you mentioned that sequence and you've reminded me something. Um, I was reading an interview with uh, Kurt Busiek and he was talking. Uh, you know, you can just tell reading this that he has got out, you know, 400 comics <laughs> <laughs> and sat and took notes on every single yeah. one of them. And if he needed anything to happen on a certain page, he had a, he had to check all that month's comics. <laughs> you know, and he was talking about that sequence, and it was something like he needed something where the innocent, normal person, being Gwen, was observing something and being caught up in the wonder of it. Yeah. Uh, inst- instead of the horror. So her her reaction to it was positive and how, how like a fantasy this was. And he was saying he went looking through all the comics and the only thing he found was like this stupid little invasion, you know, from Atlantis. <laughs> on, and he went, well, it's going to have to be that. You know, it has to be Crabbed, that. Crab tanks. You know? Here we go. And I thought, yeah. I'm so exhausted, you know, reading you saying that that had to be, you know, you couldn't pick something better because it had to be from that month. So it was the so it really was at the same time, yeah. you know. It's that level of work that's gone into this, isn't it? And yeah. it's In a way, you admire it, and in another way, you go, "Oh my god!" It's like it's <laughs> like it's like you know. Um, it reminds me a bit of Roy Thomas. You know, he he he's forever uh, collecting things together and and rewriting them. You know, when he comes into Marvel, I always think, you know, right, kinda, okay, you like Conan, all, yeah, yeah, he, he, all the World War Two and. Even at DC, did it didn't he? The All Star Squadron and all oh, that. True. He gets yeah. he gets all the stuff that's already there, and he and he 
puts it all together in a in a new inverted commas way. You know, he doesn't actually create anything. Yeah, the All Winners Squad became the Invaders, didn't it? You know, he invented the, yeah, the invaders, invaders, but essentially yeah. they were a team from the Golden Age. Yeah, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, so so I was put in mind of that a little bit. This is it's like you know it's obvious, isn't it? It's the fan that gets to do the job. Yeah, and and what they do is give you everything they liked. <laughs> it's and weird. Yeah, it's weird that we're. I mean, it's probably you and I would probably quite like to do a, a bit of that, you know, or three of us probably, you know. But the thing is, we're stuck between that, which was, you know, that era. You know, it was a lot of recreation by people like that. I mean, let's face it, even Alan Moore does it, you know, with his stuff, didn't he? He's rewritten yeah. a lot of stuff. Um, but then we we moved on to now, and we've got a load of comics writers who wouldn't know fucking Full Killer, you know, if he stood if he stood on their toe, you know, <laughs> and uh, we get we get adverts, you know. Th- thanking Stan Lee for creating Captain America because nobody can be fucking bothered to look it up on Wikipedia, you know. It's, <laughs> and the thing is, Stan just goes, yeah, that's okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. I just did that on a Tuesday, yeah. It was good. <laughs> yeah, I remember it well, yeah. <laughs> oh, Mike, are we being too hard on this comic, do you think, from your point of view? Because you did enjoy it, didn't you? I did enjoy it, but I'm also open to the, the criticisms here as well, but I, I, I don't really see it as um, as that much of a problem. Because uh, I, I've got to admit, I, I really, I, I enjoyed it. I'd put it in my top 10 reads of this year. Oh, good. And um, I'd, I'd probably put it in my top 30 reads of them of the last 10 years. Because oh, wow. it, it had some scenes that I, I quite liked. And um, because it's not like most of the comics I've read, especially most of the Marvel comics I've read, I, I think, uh, yeah, it's definitely one I would recommend. Yeah, I remember it having an impact on me at the time. I think I'm being slightly unfair mm. of it. Uh, I think... Because it, as Dave said, it was new. It was on the shelf. It was something very different. Uh, it was replaying moments that were sort of burnt into my retina that I remembered from reading mm-hmm. in the, you know, the black and white, we, you know, weekly reprints and stuff. Um, and then sort of replaying them as the point of view of, I mean, kind of Sheldon as an outside observer is kind of us, isn't he? There's an element of he's mm. us looking at these comics again. Um, mm. Is is that outside observer thing? overplayed i know they went back to this did either of you go and read the epilogue well i think it would be it would be overplayed if they decided to make um a bunch more series yeah say we've had we've had uh four parts we'll do we'll we'll commission another seven series of four parters then it would be really overplayed but as a as a one-off but i actually thought it was a six part six part series so when i read the last the the first chapter i was suddenly thinking well hang on is that it <laughs> okay because... well, it, to be fair there there are other versions of it so you, you've got ruins um warren ellis wrote you've got um eye of the camera um which is follows him again and then um he does appear elsewhere sheldon and then he appears in the epilogue which came out a couple of years ago which i think is my favorite of them all ah. um um, did you guys... As long as he doesn't change into a super-powered superhero, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. Although I might, I might be opening myself to spoilers there. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't think he, I don't think he does well. I don't think uh, he, he. I don't think everything goes quite so well for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is part of one of the stories is he meets the girl that he looked he looked after in the mutant girl who's who hid in his basement for a while. Mm. He meets her back as an adult and stuff. Um, and then the. Um, the final, the epilogue takes place in um, Rockef- in the Rockefeller Center, where the um, the Uncanny X Men, you know, the, the classic lineup, the Dave Cockrum, John Byrne lineup, fight um, Sentinels 
from that issue, the Christmas issue. And and that's a really and you see I mean as of that was only drawn a couple you know, maybe four or five years ago I suppose he drew it, but the um it's beautiful. It is incredible. And there's this really, really lovely moment where you know, Logan walks past him in civvies and says, Oh, have you got a light? And he says, I don't smoke and he says and Logan says to him, You could have you, you could have kidded me and he he thinks to himself, Well, I only gave up a couple of weeks ago. How can he smell it on me? And of course it's because it's Wolverine. You know. <laughs> um and that's that's actually not a bad issue. It, it's more playful, I think, than uh, we we saw previously with these sort of big groundbreaking, you know, moments. Um, well, should we move on to that? Should we should we talk about what our favourite moments are? Do you want to mm. do you want to start, Dave? What what were your favourites? Uh, well, I, I had a I, I had a, a couple of little ones and then and then a bigger one, so I can okay. just bash through. Yeah, go um, on, man, yeah. I, I, I liked. Um, I like the fact that the the cover of uh, Sheldon's book uh, that he finally publishes is the same cover that's on my copy of Marvels. Ah, uh, nice. Yeah. So it's just a little thing, um, but that tickled me. Yeah. Oh, can I uh, just mention here, incidentally, I meant to mention it earlier. Is you know when you see a newspaper, um, uh, even when the even when the writing is really small on it, that was actually written by Buzak. He wrote it all out. So all of the headlines and stories on any newspaper you see in the background or whatever it's going to be are actually properly written by him, which is quite cool. Yeah. Okay. What, what else? That's obsessive. Eh? It is a bit. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. Anything else? Good. Um, yeah. The. Um, well, I was gonna. You know, I'll, I'll go. My, my favourite bit of the book is uh, uh the thing that I think. You know, when I when I got this, I thought, hey, look at those Alex Ross painted superheroes. That's amazing. So I, I was reading it and I was enjoying it on yeah. that basis. Yeah. I thought, yeah, I'll read this. I'll be impressed at how they've painted everything. That'll be great. So I was reading it. And then as it was getting, actually, as it was galloping towards the very end, the first time I was reading it, and um, after Gwen Stacy's died, and, and, and Phil, Phil Sheldon's really upset about this. Uh, I get, hey, we're getting into spoilers here. I'm right. jumped right to the end. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, people are coming up to him and, and, and saying, hey, hey, these photos you've done, the Black Panther, you know, and um, Vision and Scarlet Witch and the close-up of the Hulk and things like that, they're all impressed, but he's totally unmoved. He He's he's so upset about Gwen Stacy that he's had it with everything, you know? Yeah. And, and, then, he's, and then he says things like, you know, it just goes on and on. It just they keep on fighting on and on, and there's a photo, uh, the painting of the Hulk fighting with the um, the electricity monster. Um, oh, Zaz, is it Zax, I think. Yeah. 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 In fact, as an aside, I must say this book is extremely Hulk light, which is a big yes. feeling for me. I know, and you're a big fan of the Hulk, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, could have done with a lot more of the Hulk smashing stuff in this, <laughs> but that's that's neither here nor there. But then um, he's saying it just went on and on. It was never going to stop. Not even if I, uh, it's like I held my breath until I turned blue. You know, he's uh, so, he's had it so much with all of this. And as I was reading it, I thought, this is a this story is a metaphor for really loving Marvel comics and right. then getting to a certain point and then you've, suddenly it doesn't work anymore. You've had it. You know, it's just there's the Hulk fighting Zax again. They're just going to fight forever. Not it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. You know, it's non-stop. It's every month. It's keep on buying it, keep on reading it, keep on going. And he's went through the natural thing of 
no, he's done it now. He doesn't need it anymore. He's had it, you know? Yeah. And I thought, this has been written to mirror the reading experience of collecting and reading Marvel comics. It spoke to me in that way at that point. Which was because going on with think, the image revolution at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I thought, and, and, I, and I remember, um, uh, to me, that elevated the story beyond, that put something else into the story. I thought this book is a metaphor for falling out of love with Marvel Comics, with falling into love, going through it for a few years, and then falling out. Yeah, there's almost and like the PTSD effect that superheroes yeah. are having on New York. You That's know, right. people are fucking dying all the time. These idiots and running it, around in you, costumes. Yeah, yeah, and he's realizing it just doesn't mean anything. And then when he says to the other person, "You can still see it, can't you? You can still see the wonder of this. You can still, yeah, you do it. You go and do it because yeah. I can't do it anymore." And I thought I found that powerful. And um, yeah, the moment he, where mean, he walks he home, isn't says, there? Uh, he walks you know, home he gets, thinking New York has been destroyed or everyone's going to die. Yeah, and but they say, yeah, yeah, okay. He actually gets to the point where he think where he's and he's thought in the boxes where he's thinking. He actually goes, "No more Marvels for me." Yeah. He actually says that line, and I thought, Jesus, I thought there's no way he told the editorial office at Marvel that this is what he was doing. <laughs> And and there's a play on the actual word because at first when you see it's called Marvels you think oh that's they're cleverly re, you know recreating the word superhero and making it you know a Marvel word so they're calling them Marvels these are mm -hmm. the Marvels of the you know the world but what he's actually doing he's actually saying the opposite isn't he he's saying these are not Marvels people see them as that as these sort of amazing things that have appeared but they're not they're not good things. Um, yeah, no, that's a good point, man. Actually, I never took it like that, but yeah, that's really important. And he's a, he's an extremely damaged man, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. So that was. Uh, do you know if if that hadn't happened in that book, I because I, I see Kingdom Come as being this kind of the same as Marvels for DC, but it yeah. doesn't have that in it. It doesn't have that meta textual bit that maybe I've read into it. Yeah, that's how. That's what I think the book is about for me. Kingdom yeah. Come, I don't know what that's about. I find Kingdom Come weirdly sort of nihilistic. Actually, it's strangely um, uh, end of end of the you know the the age when we can look at these people as heroes because Superman's sort of aging himself out of it, and you know Batman and Wonder Woman, you know that they're leaving this to the sort of next generation who is sort of slightly more violent and. You know, damaged and yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, incidentally, the the preacher in Kingdom Come is he drew as his father, so his father's that is is the parallel for that from Kingdom Come. Okay, good. Yeah, that's interesting, man. Really interesting. I think I think I think you're right. I think the exhaustion that was going on in the superhero world at the, t at the time with Liefeld and you know Lee, uh, Jim Lee and all these sort of dudes running around, you know, <laughs> doing superheroes nonstop and people just eating it up. Um, yeah, maybe there was a bit of exhaustion going on, and this 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 freshly pointed it out to us, um, but probably mm -hmm. sold loads for Marvel. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, any other any other favorite pages or sequences? I did I did uh, I did think it was an interesting choice, although I don't know that it was that well or or interestingly handled. But the way he decided to have Phil be a part of the mob that and and you know he throws a brick at yeah. Iceman. And it, and it, so he's against uh, the the mutants or the muties, you know. Yeah. And so that was an interesting choice. He could have he could have just went, he could have just had Phil going, "Hey, this is terrible. Leave him alone." You know, they're people too, and all this. But he didn't he didn't do that. He he had him actually be on the ignorant 
side of the of the crowd, the mob. Yeah, I found so, that um, surprising. I still find that slight when I think back on it, and I, I've thought quite a lot about that because you have that sort of that panel of Cyclops saying something, doesn't he? Leave us alone, mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, he's like they're not worth it. That's it. Yeah, and yeah. That, that sort of echoes back. And um, I found that jarring. I found it. I'll be honest with you, slightly out of character for what I saw him as. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a yeah, journalist. Was... He takes pictures of things. You know. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a strange turn of events. Yeah, but yeah. anything that gets us thinking, I suppose, is good like that. Yeah. Um, what about you, Mike? What you got any favourite oh. moments, mate? Well, Funnily enough, that was one of the moments I have um, bookmarked. And I think they, they probably added it in there so that you could see him feeling guilty about yeah. what had happened. But for me, the, the biggest highlight is one of the characters I feel is sometimes underrated. And you see him quite quite near the beginning, and that has to be J. Jonah Jameson. I really, really enjoyed watching him throughout the uh, throughout this book. Because when you see him as um, Peter Parker's employer, he's often digging right into him saying, you should do that, you should get over there, you should do all these photographs, you should work this long and and uh, never mind what you're doing, You've, your job comes first. And you think to yourself, yeah, you wouldn't do that, you'd just be lazing about. And then you see him in this comic at the very first few pages and you see instantly he's a busy man, he's... He's got he's got these ideas. He's wanting to work his way up to the top, run the bugle. He says, uh, um, "I've got a I've got a juicy labour dispute to cover," and he's he's young. He's he's uh, really a, a go getter. And there's near the end of the first volume, he basically alongside Phil, they run into they just go head first into where the danger is. People are evacuated. They're all going the opposite way. The, the military or the police say, uh, get to the shelters, both of you, and they both shout out, press, and they That's run up it. to the... That's it, yeah, I like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, they, they run up to the building. Now, J. Jonah Jameson did find a spot within the skyscraper to get a good view, although Phil, he, he went up to the top, and that's where he was um, uh, badly injured. Yeah. Well, I, I really enjoyed watching Jameson hard at work, and he's always looking for the opportunity, and I think... I think they really caught that pretty well. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of him as a youngster before he became top of the the bugle. Yeah, I think people make the mistake of never of writing J. Jonah Jameson without heart. He had a bit mm. of heart occasionally, didn't he? I think. Yeah, yeah, and and in some incarnations they show why he is against costume vigilantes. Yeah, and in fact he hates everyone in a mask. I remember one of the cartoons had that his. Um, his wife and his son were caught in a crossfire and his son was injured and his wife didn't make it. And that's that's how he absolutely hated people who, who wore masks. I'm not sure if that's canon in the in the comic. Right. Okay. It, it's been in uh, it's been in the animated cartoons. Okay, interesting. But, but but an interesting thing about him is that when you see a costume character, you know instantly from the costume who it's supposed to be. And you see the the bit when Peter Parker makes his introduction, you wouldn't know that was Peter Parker unless he's referred to as such. Yeah. Whereas if you read Marvel comics, you see a picture of J. Jonah Jameson. He doesn't wear a costume, but you instantly recognize who he is from his appearance. From his moustache. Yeah. (laughs) 
And, uh, and, and interestingly, the other highlights, there was um, a caption with Popeye on it. Yeah, yeah there's it lots of Easter eggs in this, aren't they? Are they yeah, so, um, Clark, a possible Clark Kent was there as well. Yeah, we get some, uh, aren't the Watchmen in the background of one thing? And yeah, mm. there's 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 various sort of little Easter eggs. It's full of it. To be fair, I'm kind of over that Easter egg thing. It was probably fun at the time, but... <laughs> like all this sort of fan service that we we're seeing it all the time in the movies and everything at the at the moment. I'm, yeah, I'm kind of well, a little well, these, bit over it to be fair. These characters they weren't Marvel ones. I mean, but when you see the one with um, the lady at the party, she says, "Oh, it gives me the shivers, Dawn." And he says, "It's just a chunk of rock, Jay." Yeah, and then you know that this is uh, um, really Thor and uh, and uh, Jane Foster. Uh, they're the Marvel ones, so I think it's perfectly fine to have them. But just it sometimes feels a bit out of place when you put Clark Kent in there because you think, well, if he really, if this Clark Kent is Superman, where is he when all this is going on? Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, it's explained with the the Avengers; they don't appear at some crises, and X Men don't appear at other ones, and people wonder where they are, and then you find out afterward they've been dealing with other issues that that's explained but when you bring in something from dc and you're thinking well how are you going to explain that yeah yeah i know yeah it's done it's done for the fans isn't it i suppose mm -hmm. yeah any other favorite moments dude i felt sorry for ben grimm yep. he was at that party and he overheard people saying he was ugly and he, he just looks around quite sad and i've also felt sorry for the the wee mutant girl as well and it's uh but i'll have to look out the other um the other volumes afterward to see uh, see the adult version and how things how things turned out. Yeah, yeah, that's a great little moment. I do like that. I think that's fine. And again, there's what's happening? There's also an interesting moment with uh, Doctor Oct o o Doctor Otto Octavius as well when he's being <laughs> interviewed. And I wondered what on earth happened to his arms because I thought they were molded in his. It depends, body. doesn't it? Yeah, it depends on which bit you read. But I, I sometimes wonder about the decisions to cross that line. So we've got. An observer, haven't we? So the observer, who is the journalist, who is meant to just take pictures and write what they see, and but what happens in the story is he he steps over that line and he becomes mm -hmm. involved. And we saw the example of him throwing the brick. We saw the example of him having this mutant girl living in his basement. You know, he does overstep and become part of the story. And I found that um, an interesting and, to be honest, surprising story choice by Buziek there to push mm. him to make him the story as opposed to being the observer stroke reporter which i think is what he does a lot in this um, and with his interaction with gwen as well yes that's a big one isn't it yeah it really is yeah um i do think he draws um the thing well i think ben Grimm is to me number one hero of the marvel universe i know you don't mm -hmm. agree but to me he's the heart and soul of the marvel universe and he's, he's a favorite character i could read comics about him all day long and i think he does draw him well the only thing is you can see in the back his mate's got like a thing mask on is that have you got that in yours dave yeah like, that fucking dude yeah. he's got a thing mask on and <laughs> <laughs> it's just like add it. it's just weird i don't know i just somehow that image below of you know the fully rendered thing, I think his eye doesn't work for me. It looks like he's just got a human eye underneath the brow. But uh, well, not to mention thing fists as well. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. The did you notice the last page where he meets the boy on the bike? Did you notice who that was? Ah, let's see. So in the the boy that's taking the photograph. The, yeah, the newspaper kid, the the newspaper deliverer. Did you notice who he was? Oh yeah, with with the hat. Da no, Daniel Ketch. Yeah. Do you know who that is? 
No, but I was wondering. That's the second Ghost Rider. That's the 90s Ghost Rider, who was hot shit at the time. Oh. Yeah. Um, so, and having him on a bike as well, it's kind of like another little <laughs> in-joke. And it's full of stuff it's, like that. You know. Is that the one who had the purple, sort of purple skull with a couple of horns? No, I don't think so. That's Before someone the else. Hulk. Yeah, oh, I know you mean. I can't think of their name. But yeah. Yeah, so it's little bits like that. For me, I, I really liked um, the way he drew the Silver Surfer. Um, <laughs> I think that was influential on that movie we got, The Rise of the Silver Surfer, the way we saw him and the reflections mm. we got in his skin. I think that was that was pretty incredible. I, re I really liked that. Um, and I also the other thing I really liked is in what we haven't really mentioned is the there's a sort of prologue, isn't there, that doesn't involve the journalist, which was mm. a zero issue, which is the human, the original Human Torch from the 30s and 40s. Um, and I just really like the way he draws the flames. He does draw flames well, I think, um, yeah. within that tube. I really like that. The yeah. scene in uh, the Hopper painting, the Nighthawks. Yes. When Jameson yeah. and Phil are, are uh, talking away and uh, Jameson mentions about how much of a menace the the human torches and it turns out that the guy sitting next to them is none other than the human torch who yeah. storms off in a huff <laughs> <laughs> yeah um now i know i sent you guys the link to the podcast which is like an audio book have you listened to any of that yet no i, d I didn't listen to any sorry that's fine man no no that's fine and i do really i do rather regret sending it to you because it starts out well and then it becomes about um the sheldon's assistant this girl who spends most of the following episodes just telling people off for saying things and i thought oh okay so don't worry don't worry about that one <laughs> <laughs> good okay right well i think we i think we covered that one guys thanks for that um would you recommend it mike to someone i would but as i say i wouldn't recommend it to a beginner no okay yeah i think it's it's, it's almost like it's a book that people talk about they still talk about now um kayfabe did a thing on it last year the year before that was the 25th anniversary so we got that extra issue out um it's it's still seen as um a big moment in marvel history um you still see the prints from it you still see some of the, the, the artwork and he's still doing covers to this day um there's a marvelosity which is the the marvel version of the dc book that he had out a couple of decades ago is is um came out got a few years ago now and that's well worth looking at if you like the beautiful art that's in it good stuff right i have that's on a man. couple of uh, um occasions you know working in the libraries you know I'll, I'll go in and i'm usually right up to the graphic novels but and i'm going like right where's your mouse get that ordered yeah you know and marvels i have to say is one that i get in if possible okay yeah. i think it should i think like you said it should be a perennial you know yeah, yeah i think, I think right. mike having trouble getting a hold of it is kind of I don't know what, like, Marvel comics and that are thinking, you know, sometimes. Yeah. I mean, that's a great book to have. It's, you can see that there's almost panels from this book that were replicated in the first Captain America movie. So, you mm, know, there's, yeah. there's that instant touchstone for kids who've seen the movies and then read the comics, as they all have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right, man. And Marvel need those those sort of evergreen books. Like you say, like library books. You know, the books that are always in Waterstones. Yeah. The books are on the shelf in airports, stuff like that. You know, they mm -hmm. need those books. Um, and this is this is one of them, and it's it's one that would be impressive to someone if they yeah. you know, looked over someone's shoulder on a bus and saw you reading it. They go, "Oh, that's pretty pretty amazing." Mm. I mean, I know I know I kicked it in a bit, but yeah. I did that from a place of you know it's one of my favourite 
uh, okay. I, I really like it, you know, and uh, but I just uh, want to criticise it a bit because it's, no, it's <laughs> yeah. not perfect. No, well, it's perfect, Exactly, it? yeah. What's a review if you don't, you know, we don't... That's where I was getting at a bit with that whole, you know, diatribe I had about, you know, just because you like something doesn't make it good and yeah. you can't criticise it. You know, you, you've got... If you do a review of something, you should you should be able to say what's good and what's bad. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if, if if I just didn't like Marvels and thought it was a load of crap, I wouldn't even bother speaking about it or or thinking about it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good, nice one. Right, Dave, let's let's move to you. So we're in the uh, we've gone a bit long, but let's have a little chat about what you've got on the go at the moment. So what's what's next from you, mate? Uh, well, I uh, right now I'm working on uh, another thing for uh, Robin Barnard, Star yes. Jaws. Yep, he's. Um, yeah, I think he's announced that he's he's going to wind up Star Jaws. So he's okay. heading towards this um, big finale. Because the storyline is heading towards The Return of the Jedi anyway, or his version of The Return yeah. of the Jedi. So he wrote to me and says, look, I'm wanting a, I'm wanting like a four-page uh, big thing from you. you okay. Know? So I, I had a little think about that, and, a, and uh, then I told him what it was, and he says, yeah, do that. So I'm two pages through that. And I've got another couple of weeks to finish it. And, oh, you know, Chris, Christmas and all that has gotten in the way somewhat. But but I'll get it done for the deadline. Star Wars is pretty prolific, isn't it? It's a shame oh, yeah. that Orbital went because it was always on the counter in Orbital when I would go in. Yeah, it's been every month. Copy. Yeah. Really. Uh, and he does extra. Like, he does a he did a She-Hulk special thing. and a, He does extra things on top of it as well. That's great, man. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever. I don't think we've ever met. I think I've been at similar signing events and stuff like that. I think he was at the Orbiting Pods hundredth episode live recording, and I think he was there. But I don't know if I've ever spoken to him. But he certainly is a listener. So hello, dude. Uh, thanks for listening. And he always he always gives us a little thumbs up on the Facebook groups and stuff. Um, but that's good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Top man. Yeah. Good. What a dude. What else you got going on, man? You got much else? What's what's coming out? I know that. Um, your Dundee history books on Comic House now, is it? Is that right? Now, did I do that or did I not? I'm oh, not man. sure if I did. I can't remember. Okay. I was thinking about it the other day, actually. <laughs> I was thinking, did I put that on Comic House? Yeah, okay. I must check. So I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, I know yeah, you then. put the commentary out, didn't you, on that Comic Smells? Um... Yeah, that's right. That was an episode on there. Um, yeah, very good. Other than that, I'm, I'm, I'm doing another thing for the Pocket Thoughts zine the u.s scene i've actually remembered the name of it this time i remember last time i said i'm doing it for the zine what's it called I don't know <laughs> so so that should be out in january um and uh yeah that's it yeah and what, what can oh. we expect on that comic smell what have we got coming up on there man <laughs> no they uh we did decide what we're doing like a top three of the year thing mike is that right um i think was it not our uh intentional fails of which oh, i have right. so far failed you know what? In, in I, yeah, I think it's the both of them so that's where you decide you need to do something that year like i've never read cerebus so i'm going to yeah. read it or something like that and then you see whether you've done it by the end of the year yeah yeah, yeah and it, it was such... and it... sorry mike on you go no, I, I was such a good uh good pupil last time around reading them all fairly early and this year i i have so far done half of one <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> Oh, good stuff. I always enjoy that pop, man. It's always good. Yeah. The specific thing with it, Tony, is that it's not just you decide that you should have read it. It's that you actually bought it 15 years ago. <laughs> right, yeah. And it's been sat on your shelves and you Fucking think, hell. right, let's go. You know, and, and the ones I've read, it's like, 
you're sitting reading it going, man, I bought this because I thought it looked great. Why didn't I read this 12 years ago? You know, you're really enjoying it. I'm terrible for that, man. I'm awful for it. I mean, I've got... I don't think I've read... There's like 10 issues of Aryan Lord of Atlantis from the early 80s I still haven't read Mm. that I still own. You know, stuff like that. That would be your intention, Phil. Maybe you guys at the awesome comics should do that too. do that. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Oh, good stuff, man. What about you, Mike? So let's talk about Once Upon a Time During the Ice Age, which I read again today. I read it when you send it through to me. Thanks for sending it through, man. It's a it's a great book. It's um, it's wordless, isn't it? I'm right in saying, yeah, completely wordless. Did you want to just tell us what tell the listeners what it's about and where they can get it and stuff? Well, um, at the moment, I mean, because of uh, because of um, the, the the pandemic, it's um, very limited in where you can actually get it. <laughs> but um, I'm hoping uh, I'm hoping fairly soon we'll get some. Uh, I'll, I'll get it in a few more of the comic shops. Um, um, it's it's a story. It, it's kind of like Pulp Fiction forty thousand years ago, where there's a well, there's not nothing nothing too dodgy, but it's uh, a number of um, main characters are pretty much going about their business, and they're all they all kind of end up interacting with each other. So the main characters involve mammoths, saber tooths, cave lions, cave bears, woolly rhinos. And some uh, some archaic humans as well. Yeah, and it all ends in a final, not not quite a final climactic um, battle or anything like that, but but um, a sort of uh, squirmish, I'll, I'll say. Did this but come from the... some kind of fevered dream of yours? Am I right in saying? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I. Uh, <laughs> I, I often get some very interesting dreams and sometimes they make pretty good <laughs> stories. And this one, I, I dreamt about a, a Neanderthal that had wandered off from his village um, in the middle of the night quite foolishly and he ended up getting caught up in a, a hunt by cave lions who were chasing small mammoths and, and bison down a, down a little valley and he was caught in the middle of this and he ended up being taken out by one of the lions. And I thought that would make a pretty good story as a sort of build-up to that moment. What was going through his mind? Why did he go there? And I, as I developed the story, I, I kind of had the idea of, okay, I'll change him into a, a human right. so I can give him more more uh, different tools to use and have uh, be a it, bit more inventive with his costume. He can be and, clothed, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I... I had the cave lions as basically the main characters, but they often end up coming second best against various other creatures. So this is this is a sort of build up towards the end where um, a model of one good turn deserves another, and when one group of creatures does something good, the other group will basically stick up for them. So I'm not I'm not wanting to give too much away. Yeah, with, I get you. So it's story, almost they... to me it's almost like you travel through learning and finding the next apex predator sort of thing mm. you know you you we sort of travel through and everyone is vulnerable to attack there's a moment where i won't ruin it where a creature is attacked in a cave and i actually got a bit worried but i oh, know mm. what's happening here and then they sort of turn the tables and yeah it's a kind of um it's not quite clan of the cave bear but it's that sort of wordless nature thing mm. going on isn't it you know well, that that particular incident you're talking about, yeah. actually, the evidence is there would have happened. Okay. And um, I'm not I'm not too too shy about revealing what it 
what it was because um, cave lions did go inside caves and they scavenged on cave bears that were either hibernating or had died. Right. And we know from some of the cave lion remains that were there that some of these bears woke up and were not too happy about being nibbled on. And one-on-one, the, uh, the, the if the lion was on its own, it, it didn't really stand much of a chance against an, an adult cave bear. Right, I get you. So yeah. I, I put a story into this and um, to see how how it got into that situation and how it got separated from the others, and what what consequence what consequences this had because in the comic there is another apex predator who is pretty much evenly matched against five lions, but when he's up against four lions, things go in his favour. Right, and. Um, the, the other thing, when you mention Apex Predators, the one at the very end of it who you wouldn't think of as being the one whose descendants will be dominant is uh, is the one yeah. who holds the spear. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting as well. I have to say, on page five, you've got um, one of the... Um, is it a, a lion or something? The the cat. And it's looking at the sort of gazelle-like creature. Mm. And and that... I've got this... I've got a dog called Sharknado Mike. And occasionally in the night, I wake up with him standing on me, staring at me. And they're the <laughs> eyes he gives me. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, and I really the, enjoyed uh, it, man. The gazelle-like creature, by the way, is still alive. It's... um. It's a, 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 a usually messed up the pronunciation, but I think it's a, a saiga antelope. Oh, okay. They're endangered, but they are they are still alive. But they would have been more common back in uh, back in the time which the story is set. Oh, nice! And we get a little education at the back, so we get like what the mm. animals are for um, any anyone who wants to have it, or some kids who want to read it and stuff like that. Woolly mammoths, mm. cave bears, modern humans. I like, I like putting a bit of interpretation on. I did that with my first solo comic, the Real Prehistoric Beasts. Yeah. And with that one, um, that's a bit more available. It's um, you can buy it at. I, I don't know if I can mention shops. On yeah, of course your... you can, mate. Yeah, yeah, of course you can. Well, you can buy. You can actually buy Once Upon a Time during the Ice Age from Transreal Fiction in Edinburgh. Okay. And uh, you can also buy my previous comic, um, the. Uh, real prehistoric beast from that shop you can buy it from forbidden planet in edinburgh and glasgow oh nice well, that's can... the one you gave me when i came up and saw you guys wasn't it mm, yes, yeah yeah yes. oh brilliant yeah and you can also buy it from big dog comics in uh in dundee and in perth okay. and if you're if you're ever into the uh, mcmanus gallery they also sell it in their gift shop <laughs> oh brilliant oh nice one man good stuff good that's good, and and what and you guys are working on the the next that comic smell anthology, which is sort of soonish, oh, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yep. I I I find doing comics is very therapeutic. <laughs> good. And um, where can we find you online, Mike? And where can we buy your comics online? Well, I'm I'm not exactly um, a social media IT savvy person, so um, if anyone if anyone wanted to. Um, buy any of my comics online they probably would have to contact david (laughs) (laughs) right okay and say dave do you know do you know where do you know how i can get my hands on a copy of mike's comics and i haven't email mike and ask him and i'm telling you it would only be about three weeks before he'd answer (laughs) (laughs) i i do i do have a twitter page and i've got an instagram page and i have a deviant art page but i i don't often go on them i'm afraid but, um, Good on you, mate. Quite right too. Yeah. But I, I do, I do visit them every now and then to see how many messages have built up. 
<laughs> but I will I will have to sort myself out IT wise. You see, my my main aim for doing all these comics was to go to conventions and sell them at conventions. Yeah. Because I was bitten by the bug when I when I met you in uh, in Thought Bubble. But um, at the moment, I'm I'm hoping things uh, ease up and we'll be able to do conventions. Um, yeah, fingers crossed, man. Yeah, fingers and that'll crossed. be that'll be the main places you'll be able to buy my my comics. Good stuff, man. And um, until I get some proper online presence. Okay, cool. So, where can we find you on the podcast? What's the? Do you know any of the, the links for that comic smell? Oh, I've, it's actually on the back of my comic, which I'll have a wee look. It's on, it's on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and YouTube. And you would just type in that comic smell. Cool, nice one. And Dave, where can we find your stuff, mate? Yeah, you can find me as ever at Fred Egg Comics. And uh, the thing I update most is the uh, website and, and the blog. I'm always yep. writing rubbish on the blog. I've been reading my Star Trek book, uh, Making of Star Trek. Oh, I've been liking picture. that, yeah, and all the stuff that they got rid of last minute and you know, saying there wasn't yeah. going to be a big science fiction revival and all that sort of thing. I'm yeah. quite spoiled. Usually over Christmas, you know, I like to get really stuck in a book and obsessed with it for a couple of weeks and... So it's been Star Trek this That's thing. That's the one. Oh, good stuff, man. Good. You can find me over at patreon.com forward slash tribute press. Currently, we're running the um, uh, Hank Fur, P-H-U-R, storyline about um, an oversexed furry. Um, have, have a go and have a look at that. It's only £1.49 a month, so it's not too bad. Um, but thanks, guys. Brilliant. And, um, Thank you, Tony. We'll have a chat again in a Thank minute. You, but Tony. For the moment, I'll say goodbye to you. Cheers, guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you.